Welcome to D&D Roundtable, your premier source for D&D news. We cover everything D&D from Wizards of the Coast. We cover updates from the convention circuit. We cover new and exciting products, cast and streams, and events for D&D. We cover happenings in organized play. If it's D&D related, we cover it here. Our theme music, Industrious Ferret, is by Kevin McLeod at Incomptech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Hey, we'd really appreciate it if you dropped us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks! There are a lot of subscription services out there that deliver things right to your door these days. Veggies, movies, meat, pet toys, artisanal jams, collectibles, RPGs, pictures of cool places, music, butter, dice. Wait, what? There is literally only one thing on that list that would make my life complete. A monthly subscription service for dice? Dice Envy has subscription services for dice. They send you a unique set every single month right to your house. Go check out their subscriptions, or if you just want to go buy some of their unique and interesting dice, head over to DiceEnvy.com and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Support for the Tome Show comes from Noble Knight. From Noble Knight. Noble Knight? 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 Thousands of tabletop gamers use a Noble Knight to sell new and out-of-print games and products at a discounted price. Noble Knight will also buy back the game products you aren't using anymore. NobleKnight.com, the brick-and-mortar online store where out-of-print is available again. Tell them the Tome Show sent you. I use Noble Knight. You do? I love it. Welcome to this episode of The Roundtable, and today we have a special treat for you. Uh, Paige and I, along with many of our other good friends, have recently returned from Game Hole Con up in the frigid wasteland of Wisconsin in the lovely, beautiful Madison. And we have with us today, joining us, Thomas Valley, who uh, is the organizer for the Adventurers League Hall there at Game Hole Con, along with a bunch of other really cool stuff. So we're going to get to know Thomas and get to know a lot about Game Hole Con today. If you've ever heard about it, not heard about it, interested in going, or uh, you will be after this, hopefully. Anyways, without further ado, we'll get into our get-to-know-you question for today. Today we're going with... What was your favorite thing that you did at Game Hole Con this year? And um, actually, to shake it up a little bit, we're going to go with Paige first. All right. Uh, I, I just want to apologize ahead of time for the quality of my voice. I have a bit of a cold, but, uh, but that won't slow me down. Uh, so Game Hole Con, this was my third year at Game Hole Con, and uh, it's one of the very few conventions that my husband and I DM at because usually when we travel out of town, we're not gonna we're not gonna work as well. But Thomas has the golden touch and can get both of us to DM. 
And uh, so my favorite thing there was probably DMing the 2018 D&D Open, The Gangs of Waterdeep, uh, which is just, it's an eight-hour adventure, it's with pre-generated characters, and you're pulling off the second greatest heist in Waterdeep history. And I had a great table, and it was just organized very well, and I just, I had a fabulous time DMing it. Oh, man. Yeah, no, I love the Open as well. We talked about that at length in the first episode we did together from Origins. But now that we've all, uh, both of us, had a chance to toot Thomas's horn, Thomas, tell us your favorite <laughs> thing in Game Con was. Well, uh, I was both, uh, so every year we, we, we increase in size pretty dramatically. Um, and every year we, we tend to make more friends as uh, we get a little larger. We invite new people. Um, and this year, I made a friend, and uh, it was a surprising friend because um, my wife likes to make fun of me that when I get around anyone of any sort of frame of, of fame, um, I lose all track of my tongue and am incapable of doing anything but uh, shuffling my feet, looking down, and saying, "Well, gosh." Um, and uh, so my friend that I made this year was Matt Lillard, or Lillard, I, I guess, uh, is how you pronounce his last name. Um, uh, folks know him from SLC Punk and from uh, Scooby-Doo, and he's at our show representing his company, Beetle and Grimm, and they had a booth in the, in the vendor hall. I went to visit him, uh, got a picture with him, and we started talking, and... Um, as it turns out, he's very excited about both GameholeCon and GaryCon, as it turns out, where I also organize. And so he has already offered up a very cool piece of swag for DMs at GaryCon, who devote a certain number of hours. Ooh. They'll be getting a custom Waterdeep de- Dungeon Master screen from Beetle and Grimm. Oh, man. Everyone's got the scoop right here. Maybe That's right. The scoop. You might have said it somewhere else. but I probably did, yes. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I mean, that's pretty cool. That kind of ties into my favorite thing from this year also involved um, meeting a person. Well, I mean, all my favorite things involve meeting people, really. Um, but the last game that I played, uh, Game Holcon, which uh, I unfortunately, you know, switched jobs and moved and all of that recently. So I only got to go up to Game Holcon. I drove up Friday after work from Chicago, and I was there for all day Saturday and Sunday. So my last game on Sunday afternoon, last game of the show, I am playing um, with Nicola from Italy, traveled all the way over here, and he was an absolute blast to play with. But what made this game super fun and super great, and no one, well, no one other than my friends also playing the table with me knew at the time was that we were playing my very own adventure, uh, season 8 dash. Four, a wrinkle in the weave and we had an absolute blast our dm al gonzalez was just on top of the game with his role play with his improv with his just rolling with all the punches that we were just rapid fire throwing off at him and nicola was just an absolute hoot with his dwarven uh little i can't remember if it was a fighter or what some kind of martial class and he was just cracking me up, really. Uh, so that was good fun. And I think that was like a, a good way to, to, to wrap up my con, really just that warm, fuzzy glow and be like, all right, all right, I'm coming back. You got me. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, uh, so sounds like we all had a blast at Game Hole Con. So uh, 
why don't you uh, take us back a little bit, Thomas, and tell us more about GameholeCon kind of as a whole, what it is, where it came from, and why it's got a funny name. Yeah, the question that most of the the people I've talked to online want to know is, Game hole con? Really? Right. It sounds right. like a uh, you know a, a dirty thing. It yeah. does yes, sound dirty. It is. Stick it in your game hole. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, the uh, so Alex, the the fellow who started this all, um, will be the first to tell you that if he had an opportunity to go back in time, uh, besides killing Hitler, one of the things that he would do is um, change the name. Um, because of the reaction that people have to it. Now it, it comes by it. Honestly, um, the uh, game hole used to be Alex's basement, um, and it was actually nicknamed that by his wife, um, and uh, because it was a hole in the ground uh, where he and his buddies played games. And uh, eventually, the game hole migrated to a nice uh, office over a pub in downtown Middleton, Wisconsin. Uh, in a pub that's uh, nearly a hundred years old, that used to be a speakeasy, um, so it's it's kind of cool and archaic. And the the pub is an artifact of an earlier age, and so the stairs are really narrow and really and really shallow. And the decor in the room now, he's got a a, a table that used to belong to Monty Cook, uh, a really kind of deep gaming table and so it it has become kind of an artifact of middleton wisconsin itself that uh the game hole exists there well then uh there's a uh, hobby store that's nearby that um agreed to sponsor the very first game hole and game hole con and um the uh they garnered about 250 people to show up. Uh, it gathered 200 pe- 250 people at the Sheraton um, and uh, had a number of guests. And it was about a ratio of around uh, one person for every 10 guests. Uh, I'm sorry, one, one attendee for every 10 guests. So it was an excellent ratio. By the time... <laughs> by Wait, the time have, you not, you... have you got that backwards? No, yeah, so it was... So basically, uh, if you didn't, if you weren't on a first name basis with Frank Menser by the time you left that convention, you were not doing it correctly. <laughs> um, so it, it was uh, pretty impressive. And at the, I was there at that particular con, um, and at the end of the con, I I came up to Alex and I said, "Hey, you know, if um, you need any help with this next year, let me know." Um, and the next year. Um, so that first, very first con was six years ago, and Chris Perkins was one of the special guests, and he came there and gave a, a seminar on um, D&D Next. Uh, so 5th edition hadn't even been released yet. During that ensuing year, 5th edition was released, and the Adventurers League was announced. And for some reason or another, Alex, I guess through that relationship with Chris... Um, uh, managed to secure a premiere uh, of the very first season uh, of the very first season of Adventures League. So GameholeCon, which previously only had 250 people attend, uh, suddenly had a premiere, and um, we had six or seven tables for Adventures League. And um, I was helping out a, a fellow uh, by the name of Mike Mahalis, and um, we ran a, a number of games in there and premiered our little premiere. 
And then the next year, Mike uh, sent me an email and he says, you know, I'm, I'm moving to Tennessee. I can't manage the Adventurers League room anymore. Would you like to run it? I said, fine. Uh, and then that year we had 20 tables. And uh, during my time there running that game, um, running those games at the ad- admin desk, uh, a, a guy came up and he said, um, hey, you haven't left this desk for about six hours. Do you need to go eat, go to the bathroom or something? And I, I said, yes, yes, I do. And uh, that fellow was uh, uh, Joe Alfano, uh, um, otherwise known as Zombie Joe. And um, he and his son uh, okay. sat behind the desk and, and helped me out while, and basically spelled me for a little bit. Oh, um, man. And uh, the next day, they brought coffee and donuts and then plied me with beer for the rest of the afternoon. And um, and then that was history. Every game, game... They were yeah. stuck forever, too. That's right. Anyone, yeah, anyone who's ever gotten into a sizable convention or a growing convention knows that you signed on, you've signed on. That's right. Yeah, once, <laughs> you, once you volunteer even a little bit, forever will it dominate your destiny. Right. You've sold your soul to the con. Uh, yes. The only way to get it back it is is allegedly, ostensibly, to volunteer enough. The, the truth of the matter is, you don't. If you've sold it, it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. you're part of that con forever. Yeah. yeah, you are the con. The con is you and you are the con. I know that one. No, that's really great and kind of, uh, you know, I didn't know how Joe got involved. And so that's really kind of... A heartening, and that you know, now Joe Joe is gonna live on, and all my MomoCon volunteers who come up to me and they're like, "Jenny, please go eat." I'm gonna be like, "Yes, thanks, Joe." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. We've had a we've had a good run of luck in the last six years. I wouldn't call it luck. It's it's a lot of hard work, a lot of good, big planning, a lot of risk taking, um, and uh, Alex uh, is proud to say that. Every year, we grow by around forty percent. Um, this last Which is year, a crazy growth rate. Yeah, it is a crazy lot. growth rate. Even we I have a lo- the gr- difference between last year and this year. Yeah, it, and and every year it, we have new challenges. Um, I, I'm fond of saying while we're at the convention that there's a new challenge every hour. Um, but every year, for those eight or nine months where we're planning uh, the next year's convention. Um, uh, we're talking about expanding, making it bigger. Um, this last year, Game Holcon Six, we managed to grab uh, four thousand people. Yeah. Now, um, sp- speaking of you know challenges, and one that I know that a lot of cons have is you know registration and mustering and all of that. And um, I just want to take a second to shout out to the really cool uh, website thing that you have done for finding your tables and tickets and pre-mustering basically um if you would just kind of want to you know walk the listeners through like what that looks like so they can kind of picture it because that's not something that most conventions have and it's right. nothing yeah. short of amazing and that's <laughs> uh it, that's the team who made that was uh i, I believe it consists of thomas uh, and, just and me. Th- and just Thomas. Yeah, yes. That was it. That's yep. the team. <laughs> <laughs> That's the team, yes. Uh, so uh, Game Holcon uh, is, uh, the website itself is coded by Royce, Royce Thickpen, and um, uh, he, does, he does an amazing job. Um, 
And one of the things that I asked for him from him right early on was an API. Uh, I needed a programmatic interface so that I could get in there and take a look at statistics for the DMs that I was recruiting. I needed to count hours. I needed to make sure that all tables were covered. Um, And so that came out of my original need uh, for gathering that data. Now, once I had that interface, uh, Royce and I worked out kind of a standardized interface using uh, JSON uh, as a method of communication. Um, Once we had that, uh, I could do more than just reporting. Um, I developed a a quick app uh, based on uh, uh, PHP on the middle tier, uh, no database on the back end. It's simple uh, cached storage of the output from the website, and then jQuery on the front end um, to represent uh, the physical hall uh, from a top-down view. Um, I also had a friend of mine, Brad Bound, uh, who's an an, uh, estimable artist, uh, to create some what look like tavern tables. Uh, with maps on them and dice and a, a um, an admin table that has scrolls and books you know, spread around it. Um, so those tables, in general, they all laid out on the on the uh, environment exactly as they're laid out in the convention hall. So one can then see select a time and a date, see what games are playing, double click or uh, tap on the game itself. And then buy tickets. Yeah, and I'm I'm grinning like a loon because I understood about half of that. <laughs> but <laughs> but okay, so let me kind of back it up and explain what Thomas said in in, in layman's terms there because it's actually it's actually just as exciting as it sounded like because you, <laughs> you could hear the passion in his voice even if you didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> you log onto the website, um, it's just like kind of like he said a subset of the Gamehole Con website. It's tied back into it. Or whatever con that Thomas has set it up for. Because you also use Gary yes. Con, right? So you yes, log I in do. to the Adventures Hall website. And it brings up this beautiful grid layout room full of tables with like a alchemy table at the, at the lead of it is what it looks like to me. And all yes. those tables, if you, if you t- step back and look at the bigger picture, you're like, oh, this is the convention hall. This is shaped exactly like it. These are exactly where the tables are. This is the convention hall. This is the adventuring hall. Yeah. And the name makes sense then. Yes. You, you pick a time and, you, and suddenly you get all these little green, yellow, and red boxes on the table. Green means you could sit there. What does yellow mean? It's it's closing up. It, so it's essentially the traffic codes. Yeah. Green, yeah. green means grab a ticket. And it slowly goes to red as more and more tickets are purchased. There you go. Yellow yellow means limited tickets less than. And red means yep. this table's full. Sorry. Sorry, folks. Yes. Pick another one. But it's really cool because you can just see at a glance, and then you can click right on that table and actually buy your ticket. And this is, this is important uh, for our home audience because most conventions, most conventions, even the big ones, Gen Con, Origins, Winter Fantasy, uh, when you go to their website and you buy a ticket, uh, you're buying a ticket for a certain game. And when you get to the convention, they're like, hey, if you want to play a certain game, uh, everybody stands around in a circle. And it's like, all right, you six go to table two, and you six go to table 12, and you six go to table 22. But the way that Gamehole Game and GaryCon do it is you buy a ticket to table 183 to play a certain game. And you just walk to table 183 and sit down, and that's where you play. So they 
skip the entire mustering process, which blew my mind the first time I ever saw it. I'm like, I don't understand what's going on here. Everything is wrong because I've never seen it before. Uh, but it really simplifies mustering quite a bit. Cuts down uh, on the amount of volunteers needed for mustering. And right. I, I am continually impressed with that. I'm like, this works so well. Well, one of the one of the things that Alex said early on is that w the way he wants to run the convention is is that you know we spend eight or nine months planning this thing. By the, those four days, it should run on a script. It should run. Uh, you know, we handle exceptions as they come along. We handle problems as they come along. But the base convention itself should run on a script. And honestly, you guys have done a fantastic job of it. I can't I can't fault the team at Game Holcon. Every year when I go, I'm just continually amazed at, like, people just playing games and having fun, and there's no huge lines, and and um, if, if, if you're the kind of person who gets starstruck, then, oh boy, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah, good, clean fun. Yep. Ah. Uh, Paige, you got any specific questions? I mean, I got a boatload more, but you've, you've got other things. Sure, sure. So uh, there's a lot of different stuff that goes on at GameholeCon. There's True Dungeon, there's Adventures League, there's all kinds of other role-playing games, there's a bunch of different miniatures games, uh, there's an artist section, there's a dealer hall. So you said that GameholeCon is growing 40% a year. Which of those different areas are the ones that are experiencing the most growth? Like, what's what do people want these days? Like, where is it going in the future? Well, you know, I'm going to toot my own horn here and say that Adventures League uh, tends to be a leader um, among the growth of uh, the different areas. Uh, and I can say that simply because um, uh, if you look at uh, the overall balance of any other room, board games or um, or LARPing or things like that, um, you're not going to see that level of growth. Uh, we are the 400-pound bear uh, of the convention. Uh, Trendsetter. Yes. Um, so, so as a follow-on question, are you going to outgrow the Alliant Energy Center? You know, that's a nice problem to have if we have it. Um, I will tell you that this year we had 70 tables, um, and next year we are tentatively... That's, that's 70 tables per slot, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. So just, just to make sure our readers understand, it's 70 tables that change over every four hours times four days. That's right. That's right. And in fact, uh, we, we did something challenging and new this year. Um, so the, the year prior... Um, weird. It was weird. It was weird. It was weird. Um, so uh, the year prior, we uh, Wizards uh, produced uh, uh, predominantly two-hour adventures. Um, and then uh, what ended up happening is, is that we have 16, 16 hours of gaming every day. So that means every two hours, um, we'd had at the year prior, we had 60 tables. Um, uh, those 60 tables would get up and move. The entire hall would get up and move. DMs, players, no one would start on time because no one could get to their tables in time. Um, and the noise level every two hours was unbearable. And um, we just, we, we had to get away from that. So 
without trying to reduce our overall inventory of games, this year uh, I took it upon myself to schedule one half of the of the hall starting at 8 a.m. and the other half of the hall starting at 9 a.m. So that even if they were running two-hour games, the hall would be staggered. Um, and uh, that meant only half the hall had to be mustered at, at, at the top of the hour. Only half the hall was moving and making noise for that at the top of the hour. And um, if players and DMs managed their schedule appropriately, they could have a nice one-hour gap in between games moving from one side of the hall to the other side of the hall. I, and I think, you know, at least for on the volunteer side, that was probably really appreciated because you could run the 8 a.m. starting ones in the morning and then skip, you know, skip one, but then switch to the, the you know, the 9 a.m. starting schedule. And you'd only have like an hour gap, so you'd still be able to get your volunteer hours in, but you'd have a nice hour-long lunch break. Right. Yeah. Right. And allow DMs and players to transition naturally, give themselves a, give themselves a, a bio break, um, and uh, particularly for DMs who have a lot of gear, um, it, it get got them it gave them the opportunity to migrate to the other side of the hall and not have to kill themselves. I mean, yeah, it was a little rough last year. I think I I DM'd for ten hours in a row one day with no breaks. With no breaks, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's that's less than stellar when you're at a con. Some people thrive, but like I got I got a potty like every every 6 hours or so. <laughs> <laughs> so I I will tell you that um we you know, like everything else, uh, we're never satisfied. We we're always trying to make this a better situation. So this next year what we're talking about right now, uh and and I realize, you know, we're still only about a week and a half out of this last con. But we've already got a breakdown, a punch list of things that we want to address and changes that we want to implement. And one of the things that we're talking about right now is we're going to take over the miniatures area in Hall A, expand from 70 tables to 100 tables, and then adopt what I colloquially term the lazy schedule. Uh, this is a Ooh, schedule that we... That we I'm schedule. excited. Yeah, Tell this, me more. This is the... Um, uh, origins and uh, Gary Khan schedule, which is three games per day per table, four hour slots with hour breaks in between. You start out at yeah. nine a.m. Yeah, nine a.m. to one p.m., two p.m. to six p.m., seven p.m. to eleven p.m. See, that's that's the schedule close to the schedule I run at most of my cons. I usually give them a two hour dinner break and do the third slot eight to midnight, but that's fine. That's yeah. fine. That's really neat. <laughs> yeah, that's the same similar schedule that I try to run at MomoCon, and I find I have uh, happy volunteers, uh, happy me, which is really important to myself, and um, happy convention goers because you know, like, they can still take an hour and go see their panel. Right. the The ongoing concern with us is with our growth. Um, if we started offering a lazy schedule, we'd uh, uh, dramatically reduce the inventory of games available to play. And because of that, uh, the way that we're going to try to uh, uh, manage that this year is by increasing the number of tables so that we can still handle growth uh, while reducing the overall stress on our players and DMs for schedules. Yeah, huh. no. I like it. I like it. 
I think that is a solid strategy. Um, more tables concurrently, less slots. So you, you kind of wash out to a zero-ish on the overall number of seats offered. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Solid. Now there is there's another challenge that that um, we're having to come to terms with, and that is um, our size has gone beyond the capabilities of a single admin desk managing the room. And uh, that's going to be a big challenge next year with 100 tables. So um, with 100 tables, you can't just have one desk and just yell really loudly in a microphone and hope that everybody can hear you. Um, and even then, with 100 tables, there's, um, there's very little time at which one admin desk is going to be announcing things or uh, engaging with all of the players in the room at the same time. That, that there's very little reason for them to do that. Oh, so like interactive and stuff. Like, because I was thinking, like overall, one admin table, like managing a room full of volunteers for hundred tables. I mean, Baldman does that for the big shows like Gen Con. Uh, yes. Origins doesn't have that many tables, but sometimes it it, it feels it feels big in my heart. Right. So what we were talking about as well is establishing regionalities in the room. So we'll have uh, a one uh, quarter of the room, for example, will be dedicated to interactives and potentially even piped and draped so that interactives can have their own audio. Um, uh, so That, that way you can run smaller interactives, but run them all the time. And run them all the time, exactly. Yeah. So that everybody gets an opportunity to play the interactives with a large enough group that it's still impressive, um, but you're no longer um, required to show up at 8 o'clock at night on a Friday. You can hit up the interactive when it runs at 11 o'clock in the morning on a Friday or yeah. something like that. Maybe yeah. 8 p.m.'s not your jam, but, 11, but you're an early riser, so 11 a.m., you're rocking and rolling. I like it. Uh, they they uh, did a similar thing at uh, Winter Fantasy. Last year, they had a section for interactives, a section for general games, a section for the experience track, and a section for uh, author-onlys, and then a section for um, Espergenesis and uh, whatever mm -hmm. whatever else they had over there. And I think that worked uh, that worked pretty well for them. Like I said, each con's its own thing, so you know. But I I feel like um, y you might be on the right track. I think so too. I, I think we've learned every year. We learn a, a great deal about this process. Um, the nice part with uh, the, uh, with Zombie Joe and I um, is that we run GaryCon in March. It gives us an opportunity to test out some of our ideas. Ideas. Uh, GaryCon has always been a lazy schedule. Uh, GaryCon has um, an interesting mustering system in that um, uh, GaryCon is based off of. Uh, the anniversary of the wake uh, after Gary Gygax's funeral. Uh, Gary Con 1 was uh, renting out the VFW hall, um, and everybody is still dressed up in their suits and whatnot, and they go over and play some, roll some dice. Um, and so Gary Con 11 uh, is uh, once again at the Grand Geneva, um, but it still has, uh, even though it's growing pretty dramatically as well, uh, it still has at its root the idea that if you walk around and see a table that has some people playing and there's an empty chair, you can walk right up to it and say, hey, can I, can I play? Uh, 
And they should say yes. Um, and in fact, uh, all GaryCon tables have little, uh, little flags on them. A red flag means they're all filled up with players. Green flag means they're looking for more. And um, so you don't eat, once you've got a badge, you don't have to schedule anything. You can go loosey-goosey and just uh, walk around the convention looking for a game. Uh, no generic tickets, no nothing. Uh, obviously, ticketed players have precedence. Um, so that's a, a challenge at GaryCon that we don't have at GameHole. We don't have a lot of other conventions in that somebody could just walk up and say, you know, I've never played D&D before. Where can I sit? Well, that, that's that's uh that's pretty cool. That's a uh, yeah no I do a well not quite to that level of the expectation that every table is available, but there's no tickets for games at MomoCon either. So people wander in all the time. So I'm like ad hoc firing off learn to play tables. I'm like you want to play? Ah, uh, give me five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me find hang out right here. We're gonna make this happen. <laughs> But yeah, no, there's, um, that's, that's pretty cool. Okay, so, um, one thing that kind of got mentioned, you know, in a, in a roundabout way, um, is that GameholeCon does have, as you say, a lot of special guests and a lot of, uh, people who aren't necessarily there as guests, but who are still indeed very special in the community in one way or another, um, and with that comes a lot of events. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about any of the uh, special events that you guys had this year or have had in previous years? Sure. Um, every year uh, we denote a charity that um, we feel uh, would be best served by our gaming dollars. And we set up a number of events that are all geared toward... Um, uh, donating to that charity. So the first couple of years, our lead, uh, our leader in that was the Dungeon Bastard, uh, Tom Lommel, um, who does a, a nice online series of tutorials and uh, uh, play-alongs, uh, let's play type of videos, uh, lots of streaming, a lot of interaction with the community. And he used to run a, a charity event where uh, people could uh, purchase kind of premium tickets um, uh, to play at the table, but then essentially they're purchasing uh, four out of six tickets, for example. And then um, when the audience shows up to uh, view the event, they uh, then put in donations in the bucket for opportunities to, for roll-off to um, roll a large foam die. It's, it's a, to very dramatic effect to see who can get to sit at the table and get the other two t other two seats. That was the first couple of years. Um, since then, with the advent of Extra Life streaming and the timing of GameholeCon for a lot of Extra Life events that are happening across the globe, um, the um, it, we've set up a streaming studio uh, at the convention. So let, let me interject one thing. Uh, mm -hmm. It our. Our listeners probably already know, if you pay attention to the Dungeons & Dragons, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, but Extra Life is a charity that uh, provides entertainment and comfort items to children who are undergoing long-term care in children's hospitals. It might be video games or games or toys. 
But uh, it's a charity that pretty much everybody can agree on is a good thing. Exactly. So I just wanted to put that in there in case people aren't familiar with Extra Life. Hashtag for the kids. For the kids, exactly. And and Extra Life as well is is kind of a, a warehouse for that information. So uh, whereas you may be donating to Extra Life, what you're actually donating to is a local children's hospital or, or organization like that. Um, so for example, this last year for GameholeCon, our donations were for Extra Life and through Extra Life to the Milwaukee Children's Hospital. Right, and um, if you follow Adventures League and you've been paying attention to it recently, all of the admins and the Watsi staff have been doing Extra Life as well, and their uh, donations to them are going to the Children's Hospital in their area, like Greg Marks, are going to the, uh, oh, also to Milwaukee. Is there not a Children's Hospital in Madison? Uh I don't know. I haven't lived there for a while. <laughs> oh, I just assume that the donations there, from GameCon go to Children's is, Hospital of Madison. The University of Wisconsin does have a children's hospital. Uh, yeah. That is correct. Yes. And then, yeah, uh, you know, Travis Woodall and Bill Benham, theirs went to the Children's Hospital of Seattle, as did um, the main donations from um, the Wizards staff and the overall Dungeons & Dragons team, which was mostly corporate donations. But uh, nonetheless... A lot of really good and just absolutely fantastic, mind-blowing amount of donations this year to support all those wonderful uh, children's hospital organizations across the country, really. And it's just it's really yeah. heart heartwarming. I'm, I'm proud to say that in the Adventurers League Hall this year, uh, our, uh, for the first time, um, uh, we purchased a number of tickets. Uh, just rolls and rolls and rolls of tickets. And uh, we offered up um, an opportunity for the players and the DMs to purchase a ticket for a dollar, or for $5 you get six tickets because we're bad at math. Um, and uh, if you did that, you could hand your ticket in to the DM uh, during a game and get a re-roll on any D20 roll at your game. Um, you could continually re-roll for as many tickets as you wanted to um, uh, devote toward it um, and the DM could also help someone at the table with a re-roll the DM could purchase tickets um, the uh, idea was is that you can you could never grief anyone um, so you could only help yourself or help others with your re-rolls and um, or you could I guess I, that's not true you could grief the DM I was going to say you could you could make the DM re-roll if it was about to be a, a, a TPK and the DM rolled a right. couple of crits you're like Actually, hold on, let me find $5. That's right. <laughs> so during certain events, like the Red War, um, we had a Tier 1 table who, uh, who threw down 101 tickets during that four-hour event. They re-rolled so many times um, that they essentially uh, donated $101 toward re-rolls for that four-hour event. Uh, admittedly, that's a, that's a deadly event. Um, but... Over the course of those four days, we tallied up $8,500 in donations for Extra Life. Oh, that's so good. Ticket by ticket, dollar by dollar. That's, that's amazing. So, I mean, that's over 8,500 rerolls then. So, um, uh, bless those dice for all their hard work. Yes. <laughs> their, little dice, their little dice souls deserve a nap now. Uh, not like Paige's dice, not that kind of nap, though. <laughs> Ginny is referring to the fact that I microwaved 
a set of my dice uh, a couple of editions ago because I lost my temper. And I carry them with me just to inspire the rest of my dice. To the eternal nap. Yes, yes. I, I, uh, like, to t- I like to tell the story that the first time I met Paige was at Origins, and I was DMing, <laughs> and she was playing at my table, and her dice were just abysmal that day. She could not roll for crap. Was that the and, D20s that were actually D10s? Yes. Oh, yes. yes. The story never gets old. <laughs> yes. Yes. My, it, yeah. my dear friend Matt Jordan said, I'll buy you some new dice. And he bought me some cool blue D20s. And when he handed them to me, I actually got a little bit better. Uh, and then we noticed that they were just zero through nine twice on the dice. Yep. Like, it was so sad. It was so sad. And by the, I, I, then she noticed, I, she means <laughs> at least an hour later. Exactly. Yes, it took a while. It took. A we while. were deep into that module, and I remember you turning toward Matt and just saying really loudly, "Are you punking me?" <laughs> <laughs> and bless his heart, Matt wasn't. He just had a close no. fail when he was looking for dice. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, so I have a question for you, and this is something that our, our listeners, I think, will be interested in. If you're running seventy tables per slot times a bunch of slots per day times four days. That is obviously a huge cadre of DMs. How do you find those DMs? How do you communicate with those DMs? How do you organize those DMs? Like, what does that whole process look like? How do you bribe those DMs? Uh, oh, he yes. bribes them quite well. He bribes I, I, I quite do. Well. Yeah, other uh, organizers that will be interested in that. Yes. So we start out uh, sending out a mailer using, I use MailChimp as my mailing service. Um, I use a free account because I never, I never go over a certain threshold of mails, mailings or users. Um, so that's pretty simple. I can format an email and send it out and MailChimp tends to be whitelisted um, more than uh, trying to CC a bunch of people. Uh, you try to CC a bunch of people, you're never going to get past their spam box. Nope, and and Google, Google will shut your ass down. Like, yes, it will. Like, what are you trying to do? Yes, it will. Um, now, uh, so so that's been my over the years. That's been my standard for communication uh, for initial blasts and initial advertising. We use Facebook and Twitter for general advertising when we are need to beat the bushes and figure out uh, we don't have enough DMs. Um, and uh, and in those cases, those are st- straight up advertisements. Um, to entice DMs to become part of our volunteer corps um, for 14 hours, that gets you a badge for the weekend. Um, it also gets you uh, what we've come to know is one of our most highly um, uh, highly valued pieces of swag every year, which is a piece of clothing that is branded with the D&D logo. So our first year was a bowling shirt, and our second year was a, um, a hoodie. Uh, then we had a, a set of D&D socks, and this last year we did um, uh, a knit cap, a D&D knit cap. Some call it a beanie, uh, some call it a, a toque, beanie. some call it a toboggan, whatever it is, there's no need to argue over it. It's a knit cap, yes. guys. Yes, and I, 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 I put it on and I tell people I'm cosplaying as Chris Perkins as if I had been bitten by bees. Um <laughs> because I'm not as thin as he is, <laughs> or as handsome. Um, <laughs> so the... Um, uh, do, you, so do you actually pay for advertising on Facebook, or do you just, just rely on word of mail? 
uh, we tend to, I tend to spam a lot of groups uh, for those groups. advertisements, yeah, manually. Um, but then if it becomes, if the situation in my mind is becoming dire, uh, then we'll throw down, uh, you know, a couple hundred dollars for uh, Facebook advertising. Um, that seems to be the easiest way to grab people in our target audience. Yeah, and if you can't attend GameholeCon or you don't have the time to volunteer and you want to help GameholeCon and Thomas and Zombie Joe specifically, literally the best way to do that when you see those DM call posts go out is share it. That goes for any, oh, yeah. that goes for any con, really. If there's a con you want to support, please share their DM call. Yes. That by the time that there's a DM call that goes out, you know that the administrator is, um, uh, has chewed through the last fingernail and is now um, starting on the anxiety meds. Um, so uh, if, if, the, if the core of volunteers isn't there and a DM call is you're resorting to a, DM, a general DM call, that's the, those, that's the worrisome. That's the anxiety speaking. Um, so after we've got our DM core, uh, we start allowing them to volunteer on the website. Um, our, our schedule is set on the website, and they can simply go in there on their account on GameholeCon.com and click Volunteer for this game. And uh, it allows them to customize their schedule as much as they want in between DMing and playing or DMing and um, hitting the bathroom, as it were. Um, drinking. Drinking. Um, but uh, uh, so, so beyond the 14-hour level, we do have what we call the uh, crazy person level. Oh, we don't call them that to their faces. But um, that is, <laughs> if, you didn't, if you devote 30 hours of DMing or volunteering to the convention, um, you qualify for a room share in a hotel room. You also get what is typically our platinum level of swag. So everything uh, and the kitchen sink. Yes, you get all of the swag previously mentioned at the 14-hour level, but at the 30-hour level, you get something that is uh, we speak of in hushed tones whenever we talk about it. So the year prior, it was it was the hoodie that was the that was the premium swag, um, but this year it was the uh, gift set, the DM Core Rulebook gift set, um, as illustrated by Hydro 74. Yeah. Uh, the fantastic cool thing that i'm worried about break I, I have i have one now and i'm worried about breaking the cellophane on it I'm, it's that i didn't volunteer 30 hours for thomas to get one so i had some severe envy over it but we picked one up uh recently i've got one for um my boyfriend here for christmas and he can't open it it's his christmas present so he is literally <laughs> dying literally dying he says actually <laughs> physically dying one second at a time because he can't so open it this year when we announced that swag at 30 hours we had so many people sign up i tell you uh we had at one point 220 people signed up uh to volunteer now over time um they realized that their um vacation budget was a little too tight um and so they dropped out um or they couldn't acquire 30 hours everybody else had acquired 30 hours um we ended up with uh, over 80 DMs who devoted 30, 30 hours of time to the convention, and overall, 180 DMs at the, um, for the volunteer core um, for the entire convention. It was a really 
a hefty and diverse list of people over 30 hours. You had, because uh, I, I got the joy of uh, somehow put myself to work. So I was handing out the, the DM swag to all these wonderful, kind people. And man, there you had girls, boys, young, old, just about like every kind of person that there could be represented on your volunteer list. And they were all so happy to get their books. <laughs> Well, I like to, I, I, you know, working with these people for a while now, um, you know, I, I like to point out some of the quirky demographics. Um, this year we had um, three parent-child connections. So uh, the parent and the child w- were DMing for us. Um, oh, that makes me feel so good. <laughs> Passing on to the next generation. Oh, the exactly. one fuzzies page has them. We have legacy DMs, um, and so uh, our youngest DM was uh, the celebrity Fenway, uh, Fenway the teen DM. Um, she was our youngest DM this year. Uh, our oldest DM was uh, uh, Jay. Um, Jay is uh, a veteran, and he is uh, has problems with his knees, um, but he still gets around and has been at every one of our conventions uh, ever since they started. Um, and it is just an honor to sit there and game beside uh, such an esteemed personage. But he's also a really cool guy. Oh, yeah. I think I met him last year. Uh, really nice fellow. Yes. Really nice. But, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, even, I only played four games in the Adventurers League Hall. My first game, um, Latia. Uh, wonderful dm uh obviously woman of color uh so that was you know good there were actually a lot of people of color let's see my second game um what did i play second i can't remember the game um but it was also another dm i hadn't had before i didn't sign up with anybody i'd played with before uh was a, a man about my age um, he had a really cool hat. I th- I, and then I had um, a another man, uh, Latino, and then uh, Al as well, um, who who also I guess uh, Gonzalez, some kind of Latino heritage there. Uh, so yeah, and um, the the people I played with as well. Like I said, like it was a really diverse gaming hall. And that just that made me so happy. Yeah, so our theme this year was diversity and inclusion. Um, we, uh, so we've all seen it. Why did the, you choose that theme and how yes. did it come about? So in the last year or so, um, there have been some troubling incidents of gatekeeping. Um, and I can tell you at the various cons where I've organized and visited, um, I've experienced it personally. Um simply because of the types of games that I play versus the old school games or the different tract of games. or So you'll see certain conventions where they're like, well, you play D&D 5th edition? And then it's some sort of an edition war. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then uh, you see, uh, I don't have, because I'm, you know, middle-aged white guy, what am I going to do, right? Um, I, I don't personally have the problems of inclusion uh, and gatekeeping uh, or lack of inclusion and gatekeeping um, that people of color and uh, women do, um, but I certainly have secondhand experienced it through 
via my friends, via the people for which I am managing these uh, conventions, uh, and, and simply the people that I play with at the table. Um, and each of those incidents, um, I, I feel like an open wound, like uh, it hurts them, it hurts me because I love them, and it's hurting somebody I love, so uh, I felt we had to do something about it. Um, and to do that, to that end, um, we devoted an entire day of the convention toward um, showing off our uh, inclusiveness. Um, just basically wearing symbols and talking about family and talking about in, um, uh, welcoming everyone um, to the family uh, of, of gamers. Um, and we got support from tabletop.gamers, G-A-Y-M-E-R-S. And um, uh, we got support from Gary Khan uh, in the form of Luke Gygax, who uh, decided he wanted to be a part of this too, and uh, uh, and uh, gave generously uh, a number of rainbow D20 pins uh, made by Norse Foundry. Um, and uh, we also just declared that day Rainbow D&D Shirt Day. Um, everybody showed up with some, uh, with some indication that um, everyone was welcome at their table. And um, the, the extent that, uh, that people embraced this idea um, was just thrilling. Uh, just... Uh, uh, Joe and I both had an opportunity to say something over the microphone to uh, launch the day, and neither one of us could um, uh, could handle it. We could couldn't handle the emotions in the room. Uh, it was astounding. Um, those pins they went in an hour. Uh, all the entire box. Just people wanted to wear them. They wanted to show off. And I mean, yeah, no, I definitely you know. Rocked my rainbow ampersand. Um, was fortunate to get a pen, and like everyone was super excited. And I know there was a lot of talk in the lead up to it because you were you were making those posts and making sure everyone knew about how people were excited to go to game hole convention, but not only game hole convention, but other conventions because when you're when you're there, I mean, you're with you're with your family, and that's what it feels like. And I think you guys did a fantastic job of kind of capturing and expressing that feeling that you know a lot of us get when you when you go to events like this it's like your your home maybe your actual home life isn't the most accepting your hometown your wherever you're from you you face some kind of uh, animosity discrimination you feel isolated you feel uh, ostracized but you don't at Gamehole Con or whatever con you're going to. Like, those are your people. They're they're right. They're your family. Like right. they got they got your back. Like your family doesn't like you. Your family kicked you out. You're our family now. Come on. Yeah, and so, it's it really like optics are a thing. Uh, representation is a thing, and I can only imagine what it looked like to walk into the hall Saturday and see, geez, probably what. 75%, 85% of the DMs and who knows how many players wearing rainbow ampersand shirts or having uh, uh, rainbow pens. Like yep. that is, that presents a very different environment than people might have been presented with in the past. Exactly. Exactly. In the past, I'd say, so I'd say it was about 
two or three years ago, um, and it was at GaryCon, where I looked out at the uh, out at the gaming tables, and I turned to Joe and I said, "There's been a sea change." Um, that I'm looking out at, at a gaming room filled with people, and nearly half the people in the room are women, and I just it shook me. Like that is for sure true. Yeah, I I I, I was amazed. Like I I almost felt like everybody would have had to have come together to um to to really make that happen, and. You and I both know that uh, getting humans together to do uh, any specific one particular thing is nearly impossible. But somehow we've done it. We've created a new atmosphere, a new environment where people can sit down at a table and they leave their cares about the world behind. That when they sit down at the table, they are heroes and everybody knows it. Um, and the only expectation is that you bring your dice and you bring your pencils. Um, you can borrow yeah, dice. Yeah. That's fine. You can borrow. And you can borrow dice too. People are willing to share. Now, one of the one of the best stories to come out of the convention this year is that uh, on Sunday we spent a lot of time tearing down the set, tearing down, uh, doing a strike, uh, getting everything put away, getting everything on trucks and all that kind of stuff. And for the most part, Joe and I were gone by the time Alex was by himself. Um, Alex, the guy who, who's created the convention, who's running the convention, uh, he's by himself taking down our large Metal Pipe Adventurers League banner sign that sits outside of the room, welcomes people in. He's taking it down by himself, and a young woman comes up with her friends, and, um, and she says, are you, the, um, are you the guy that was on the Adventurers League uh, uh, stream with Lisa and Alan? Um, Lisa and Alan do the uh, Adventurers, and I'm going to Adventurers Wanted. It. Adventurers Wanted, thank you. They do the Adventurers Wanted stream, and Alex was on there talking about inclusion and talking about um, uh, harassment policies and and all sorts of things like that, and how uh, Game of Con has a, a clearly uh, laid out uh, anti-harassment policy and a clearly laid out inclusion policy. Um and because Alex is professionally a lawyer. Um, so he's drafted all of these documents and posted them everywhere and made it clear to all attendees that uh, harassment is not tolerated, that it'll, you'll get you booted right away. Um, and so this woman comes up to him and asks him if he's the same Alex. And he says yes. And she says that she just wanted to relate to him that um, she's in transition and that if... Um, that the way that he sold the convention to her um, was such that she felt safe coming to Game Holcon. And uh, uh, she just wanted to stop and thank him for that. And he said, you're welcome. <laughs> and then she joined her friends and they walked off. And he said, he said, you could have hit me with a two by four. I was just standing there with a socket wrench and I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I just, and his impression was that the bravery of this person in coming to a convention uh, where, you know, traditionally, historically, anyone who is not a middle-aged white male is uh, a second-class citizen. And to be in the, in, in the instance of transitioning um, and feeling comfortable enough to, game Hulk, to come to GameHolkon honored him. He just... He had no other words. He he said he just stood there and and got really choked up for quite a while before he could get back to work. 
Oh, God. I read this one on Facebook before, too, so I knew where you were going with it, and I'm still tearing up. It's just such a, a beautiful moment, and I think Alex in his post, too, was like, I wish that, you know, I could have, uh, he could have been more um, uh, articulate and, you know, said something to her, to, to her to the effect of, you know, how much it meant to him, but he was just, like, so, you know, gobsmacked. It's just, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Just you know, thank you. You're you're welcome. I mean, and 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 to me though, like that's pretty good because like, I mean, of course you're welcome. It's it's matter of fact. It's a thing. It, it should be everywhere. You shouldn't you shouldn't even you know have to to mention it. And so like that that game Holcon is that place and that like, you know, you know no need to to, to thank you. It's just what we do here. Right. That's I mean even. Like, you shouldn't have to thank someone for being a decent human being, but it yes. is yeah. rare enough that sometimes it's nice. No, it it's beautiful. It it's beautiful, but I mean, I love that GameholeCon is that place where, like, I mean, your thank yous are appreciated and everything, but it's just what we do. Right. Now, it's always stunned me, you know, just in a general sense, because it's, as a gamer... Uh, we lived through what I often term as the desert, um, uh, the gamer my age. I yeah, started playing. The 80s. I, yeah, I started playing in '78, and um, in '83, I, I have this saying that I tell people: I knew three people who gamed: my two best friends and Gary Gygax, um, and and those were the people that I knew that gamed. And uh, and, and to tell me now that um, uh, that. You're going to sit there and game and say, yeah, but I don't want to play with girls. Uh, or, you know, fly. <laughs> that, I mean, just like, wait a minute, you know, two or, people or that, that girls with, aren't real gamers or, or that they're not real gamers. You, so, uh, so my question is, you know, two people that can sit at the table and play with you on a regular basis. Wouldn't you want to make it three? What, just pragmatically. <laughs> wouldn't it be better just to be more welcoming? Wouldn't it make it for a better game just to be more welcoming and more inclusive? And, uh, you know, even if you're gotten there. Yeah. yeah. E even if you're just a jerk, <laughs> you know, even if you're not doing it out of the goodness of your heart, wouldn't it make a better game if more people played it? I just, you know, <laughs> it never, it never gelled with me. I never understood that gatekeeping idea. It, I mean, it, it's, you know, obviously tough to fathom for, for me as well, as, you know, especially because, like, Paige and I would have been the, the victims of that uh, gatekeeping. No girls allowed, not not real gamers. Been, and, you know, my favorite, been gaming longer than you've been alive. Uh, yes. All, all, that's, all that's great. Fair. It's all it's all fantastic. Thanks. Congratulations on your accomplishments. Um, <laughs> but really, though, no, thank you to everyone who lets someone sit at their table that, that's really that's that's really all you have to do you let them sit at your table you let them play the game yeah yeah so given that uh game hole uh has very clearly and uh articulately put their stance out there on diversity and inclusion and given that they have a uh, strong anti-harassment policy that is posted publicly number of places in the convention hall. I mean, have you ever really had a problem? We've had a couple. Uh, yeah? Yeah, we've had a couple of problems, and um, the nice thing is, is that with the clearly stated policy, there is uh, there's no if ands, or buts. We, uh, we boot uh, people. We have in the past. 
Uh, we will in the future, I'm sure. These are humans that we're playing with. Um, so uh, uh, we'll have problems. Um, but it's a clearly stated policy. Now, the nice thing that's been developing is that because uh, Alex has done such a good job with articulating this policy and making it legal and ensuring that it's out there, is that we're working with people like uh, people like yourselves um, and people like Dave Christ of Baldwin Games um, to make sure that um, our policies are all aligned so that the expectations aren't different from convention to convention, um, trying to standardize an anti-harassment policy across all, uh, all conventions. Um, and, uh, and in fact, Wizards of the Coast and, and the Adventurers League organization is now requiring that a convention have an anti-harassment policy if admins or Wizards of the Coast personnel are going to be present at the convention. Um, so all of this is kind of coming together. And that's a new development. Like, that's something that's come out in the last month, maybe? Yes. Yeah, Six like weeks? Month, month, month and a half. Yeah, and, and um, I know uh, Greg Marks has posted about that, and you can pull it up on the, um, well... Maybe pull it up. You got to search for it on Facebook, which is a, a drag. Sure. But I'll I'll actually um, look that up and put put that link on uh, on our uh, Facebook page, on the the roundtable page, and in the show notes here, um, because I think you guys are you know trailblazers. They were blazing a path forward for the future we want to see. Right. Exactly. I think there it's a two pronged um, result in that we are humans and we uh, enjoy playing with humans and we don't want anyone else excluded. We don't want anyone to feel bad. We don't want to feel anyone to have trouble at, a, at, at one of our shows. The second prong, of course, is liability. Um, and uh, from a legal standpoint, we don't want harassment to take place and then be accused of not acting on that or have an established policy that would have counteracted that or uh, provided for a proper reaction, proper legal reaction. Um, so those are the, that's the two-pronged approach, and both of them seem uh, pretty common sense. So as a, as a showrunner of a major convention where you have all these celebrities here, and, uh, and it's kind of like you, in a sense, are living the life. There's a bunch of people listening to this who are going to be like, hey... I wonder how he got there. So if you were going to offer some advice to someone who wants to start a con in their own home area and they want to grow it as big as Gamehole Con, what what kind of things would you suggest they start off with? Well, I have a saying, but it's not my saying. It's Alex's saying. And that is, um, so you want to start a convention. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take $5,000. I want you to take it to your backyard, and I want you to set it on fire. Are you comfortable with that? Then go ahead, start a game convention. And, if, uh, and, and so that's the feeling is, is that you're going to be putting a lot of risk, a lot of time, a lot of money um, towards starting a convention. Now, I've attempted to do this myself down here in Florida a couple of times um, to not too great a success. And I mean, I is, had, is it really going to cost a new con $5,000? So you start thinking about the venue. Um, uh, venue's probably going to run you around 2500 um, If you need to fly in guests um, and you're going to need to put them up in a hotel room, uh, you could probably uh, work something out with hotel as far as hotel blocks and discounts. Uh, but in general, I'd say you can estimate that your overall costs for the flight and for the hotel room and for feeding said guests will be around $1,500 a head for guests. Um, 
that's uh, just these are rough numbers that I've come up with after attempting to do this a couple of times, um, and uh, and so it the better way to go about it is if you've got local guests, if you've got guests in the region that you don't necessarily have to fly in or you don't necessarily have to put up in a hotel. Um, and in those cases, you probably just pay them a per diem or a guest appearance fee. Um, and, and it'll be considerably cheaper. Um, and the unfortunate aspect regarding most of these conventions is that the landscape is uh, filled with conventions. And because the landscape is filled with conventions, you have to, um, you either have to deal with certain um, celebrity guests, or you have to create such a unique experience that um, people are going to just going to gravitate to it naturally. So that just that doesn't mean that you can uh, put up eight tables and set up hotel rooms and hope for the best. It means you've got to come up with a gimmick. You've got to come up with a hook, some way to get people in, a good vendor or an exclusive uh, item or, or, or something like that that's going to get them in other than guests. And But, of course, the fallback, of course, is celebrity guests. Celebrity guests is the easiest hook. I mean, I can't discount any of what you're saying, and I, I, I kind of agree. Like, if you, wanna, if you want to get your name on the map to, to be a big, big con. A lot of those things are good. Um, I mean, there's a lot of really successful small cons, too, that don't do any of that. And like you said, their differential is quality gaming. And that's, right. that's, that's, that's a fine thing to strive for. You can have some good quality gaming on a budget at a you know, con, uh, rent out the old VFW or the Legion Hall or your local... Um, nice, um, well air conditioned or heated, depending on the season and your part of the neck of the woods area. And you can you can do a con on a budget, but like you know, I, I think I think you're on the right track if you want to if you want to grow and if you want to be the the game hole con if you want to be the 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 well the Gary con the the ones that people <clears throat> you haven't been to but you know the name of it. Right, exactly. If you want to be on the map in some way or another, um, then you have to start th planning for that level. Um, of course, you can you know throw up eight tables at a local game store or the VFW or something like that, and then manage if you're in a high populated area um, or you've got a devoted following of gamers that uh, you're already in contact with, and you can find a, a good time at which they can all attend a convention like that, then you're in luck. Um, I'd say that the vast majority of people who want to organize a convention don't have that. Um, it, I've, I've found that if you're in proximity of a university, you can, you can uh, gather some mm -hmm. of that luck together. Um, if you are in a high populated area, you know, a city of 100,000 to 200,000 people, uh, you might have better luck. Um, I know of one, uh, one guy who uh, um, created a homegrown convention and now has national exposure, um, and he's in the middle of nowhere, um, and he's the first one to tell you that. Uh, and that's our, our, our fellow friend, uh, John Connor Self. Uh, who creates the D8 ah, Summit. That is okay. really... Uh, okay, so it's it's the nearest real city, as people would say to it, is Chicago. And I'm in Chicago, and I'm like, oh, man, that's a bit of a hike. 
It is. It is definitely a hike out of Chicago. Yes. I was a little yeah. little startled about how far into the weeds we were. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure um, when you, you get loaded into your white van and you go out there and nobody really knows what kind of ritual John Connor's going to do to all of us, but <laughs> we just trust that it's going to have good results because he's a good guy. Even though you're most likely to find him dressed like a red wizard of say, I'm pretty <laughs> sure he's not actually a necromancer, but no, one may never know. Right. <laughs> Hard to tell. Okay, well, um, Paige, unless you have any other super pressing questions or anything, um, we're over an hour now on this, and we could talk to Thomas all day about Gamehole Con, Gary Con, and everything. Yeah, I was about to say. Fascinating topic. I I have questions. I have thousands of questions. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, I think then that we are going to call it a wrap for this episode uh, and thank you so much thomas for being on the show yeah thanks it's man been a blast um why don't you tell our listeners uh where they can find you and plug your whatever it is that you want to wait wait sure one more wait, wait, one more wait, thing wait, you should say though is uh do you know what the piece of clothing will be for next year oh uh, so I have I have my vote in for what the piece of piece of clothing should be, but I don't know if anybody's going to take me up on it. My vote is for a um, a sash that resembles a clan sash from a Scottish uh, a Scottish sash. So it'd be the the convention colors black, uh, a field of black with red and yellow piping. Um, simply because we've, we're in the seventh year, and every year we give away pins or badges or things like that. And this would give the DMs who uh, have a lot of tchotchkes and or things from other conventions. Flair. They could hang them on their sash. A lot of flair, so they could hang them on their sash like a Girl Scout sash. I was know? about to say it reminds me of my Girl Scout. That's what I said. I voted for <laughs> scarf, but I don't actually get a vote, so you know. Yeah, so we're talking about scarf. Uh, uh, somebody, it might be me, every year brings up pants, but pants are problematic because there's a sizing issue. So if, like, you'd have to like go with basketball pants that, you know, so they have a stretchy waistband. Um, but even then, that's going to be problem. We, we could do leggings. Again, ask John Connor, men in tights, we're bringing it back. Yes, yes, we could do leggings, but then we'd, we'd want to, you know, so I, I'd say like the 30, we'd do leggings for the 14 hour, and then for the 30 hour, you get a kilt. You know, so. <laughs> all right, all right. So submit submit your your vote for the Game Hole Con article of clothing on our Facebook page. You heard it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it then, might uh, not go anywhere, but submit it anyway. Right. <laughs> and then Joe and I will be running the Adventures League Hall at Gary Con in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, the birthplace of Dungeons and Dragons. It's Hawaiian uh, shirts there. It's always Hawaiian shirts. Hawaiian shirt day. Yep. Uh, uh, March seventh through tenth of twenty nineteen. All right. Uh, how about uh, that's that's where to find Thomas. You will find Thomas yes. there if you need to find Thomas. Uh, the rest of your where to find you, uh, Twitter, Facebooks, any other social medias, and any other convention appearances you will be making, perhaps. You can tweet at me at uh, Mystery Whisk, M Y S T E R Y W I S C, Mystery Wisconsin, essentially. Um, uh, otherwise, I've uh, got a private Facebook page. I don't have a public one. Um, the Game Holcon uh, Facebook group is a good, good place to find me as well. I'm commonly on there. Um, and then uh, for my convention schedule, Gary Con's probably going to be the next one, but uh, I keep getting pulled aside for small Comic Cons and whatnot in the region. So I, I pop up here and there. 
You could find Thomas at um, MegaCon, usually Memorial Day weekend, if for some reason you've decided that you, you like him more than me, which is understandable. Yes, yes, yes. If you're if you're there to see, like, you know, the stars of X-Files or yeah, somebody yeah. like that, yeah, I, I usually game next to them. Yeah, and or- Orlando is a little less muggy than Atlanta Memorial Day weekend. I understand. It's 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 not me. It's, it's I don't know. We do have 15,000% humidity down here, so it's okay. pretty muggy. Maybe I lied. That's fine. Um, well, uh, thank you again, Thomas. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jenny Loveday. That's G-I-N-N-Y-L-O-V-E-D-A-Y. You can find me on Facebook at the same uh, page. You can find me uh, in the 5th edition Facebook group on Facebook. Or you can tweet at me at, uh, at Paige Lightman. That's L-E-I-T-M-A-N. Obviously, you can contact Jenny and I through the at d d Roundtable Twitter or uh, hit us up on email at the dndroundtable.com. The dndroundtable at gmail.com. Oof, boy, we just left part of that out. And I'm gonna I know, a, I'm sick. I'm, I'm going to give a quick shameless plug for some stuff Paige and I have been working on. Um, recently released for myself within the past month, uh, you can pick up on the DMs Guild, my Season 8 adventure, that's DDAL. 08-04, A Wrinkle in the Weave, and also my really cool Eberron Adventurers League legal adventure. That's, uh, I don't know the code. E-L-W-04. It's Jack of Daggers, and that's on the DMs Guild right now as well. Paige has a really cool uh, Season 8 adventure as well. Paige, what's your number in... Yeah, so my husband and I are writing the first two parts of the Skull Square Murders trilogy. Uh, I am writing 810, uh, which is a Skull Square Murders, and he is writing 811, which is Poisoned Words. Now, is, that the tri- is that a Tier 3 trilogy? It's a Tier 2 trilogy. Oh, okay. Tier so we're at, at GaryCon, we're debuting a Tier 3 trilogy for Season 8, But so I guess we're not de- debuting yours. Nope. Yeah, I think they're coming out in February. Let me, let me okay. Yeah, let me let me pull up the old uh, Adventurers League website and tell everyone when we get pages on the DMs Guild. But it's coming soon, and we'll probably uh, tell you about that one again. That way, you don't miss it. Let's see. So, Paige and Ben are due to release on the DMs Guild. Um, 10 and 11, so that would be the first Tuesday in January. Start your new year off right. There we go. Absolutely. There we go. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to all of you. Uh, So that's coming up soon, and um, the premieres for that are coming up as well. So catch uh, me right now on the DMs Guild and Paige coming up soon, and, you know, thank you for your support. Uh, Anyways, unless... We got more to chatter on about, which I think we wrapped. <laughs> we do this every show. Uh, that is going to be it, though, for this episode of the Roundtable. Uh, as always, uh, you can find us on the iTunes Store, on the Tome Show website. Feel free to leave us a review on either whatever your podcast viewing of choice is, iTunes, Tome Show. Sh- uh, home show website or on our facebook page we'd love to hear your feedback shoot us a line if you got any suggestions thank you and that's it